Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Let's Talk ABM with me, Declan Mulkeen, CMO of account-based marketing agency, Strategic ABM. ABM is one of the hottest B2B strategies right now, helping companies to win, grow and retain their most important accounts. This podcast allows me to spend some time talking to account-based marketing leaders about their ABM programs and share their insights with other B2B marketers, wherever you are on your ABM journey. So today I'm joined by Trinity Nguyen, who's the VP of Marketing at UserGems. Trinity, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Declan. Thank you for having me. Well, listen, I mean, a little bit of background, really. I, I kind of came across you and the company, LinkedIn, probably like like many, many things. And I was interested in learning about your story, about your company, and a little bit about you and your, your ABM journey. But um, I suppose what's interesting, since we had our original chat and now, is that I just keep on seeing your company everywhere. And I don't know whether that's because you, the, the, you're playing some, you know, with a puppet and you're making sure that my profile on LinkedIn is invaded by user gems. But I just think to, play, to pay credit really to you and your company is that your your brand, I, ju- I just see it all over the place. So um, perhaps we could kick off with a question around that really. Tell us, or tell the audience, for those who don't know who user gems are, tell us a little bit about, you know, who you are and what's your kind of unique selling proposition in the market. Yeah, Absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned that because that exact phrase of, I keep seeing user gems everywhere. That's one of our company's OKR. And it's been like that for a quarter, like, I don't know, over the years. Um, Because we keep hearing that in our sales calls, people are like, oh, I keep seeing user gems everywhere. So we want to make sure that as part of our brand building strategy, and we want to rally the the team across, like from engineer to social marketing sales and whatnot, um, to make sure that everyone sees us everywhere. So... Advertising is just one channel, but also like social. Yeah, so it's, it's really nice. So thank you. You give me one more point in my OKR achievement this, uh, this quarter. Very good. Um, uh, what UserGems does, so kind of high level, we are software for revenue teams. So sales, marketing, customer success, wrap ups. And what we do is we track your key champions when they change their job. And there are a number of use cases. So for the sales and marketing team, it's like, when they change to new organization that fits your target account to ICP, then it's an opportunity to sell to them again in the new organization. Um, on the customer success side, it's a churn risk. When your champion leaves organization, that should be a churn risk, uh, churn risk signal. So that's what we do. So, so in essence, you you help companies like mine or any other company working in sales and marketing to to track the movements and the ins and outs of people as they come into companies, as they leave companies, as they start new positions or change positions. And you you then are able to um, benefit or help yeah. customers rather benefit from that change by by presenting those those individuals with information, with campaigns about products and services. Is that is that That's that perfect. That's perfect. That's the next step. So it's not just a movement, but also like enriching all these contacts with like the new contact information and all the context around that person and their relationship with your company and surface all of that in your CRM or any kind of like platforms that your team's using today so that it's actionable. So that's the. So basically taking all that, as you said, taking all that information and then presenting it in a, in a, in a consumable fashion for, for, for marketers, salespeople to use it and to, 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 to make good use of it really. Okay. Yeah. 
Let's talk about going. You mentioned about marketing and sales and SDRs. Let's just one thing that when we were chatting previously, you mentioned to me, which I found fascinating, was that you said to me that um, that you're responsible for marketing and you're also responsible for the SDR teams. Mm-hmm. Which there's this whole debate, which you've probably seen on many LinkedIn and other places, which talk about you know where should SDRs report into into marketing or into sales, etc. Pros and cons, clearly. But tell me, um, how did that come about? And, and what do you think you gain or what does the SDR team gain from that tight integration? Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of hot takes on LinkedIn. I think the right answer is always it depends. Depends on whether your marketing leader or your sales leader have the bandwidth and the understanding of the workflow of the SDR to fully support them and develop them. So I think depends on your organization. For us, uh, from day one, so it's kind of like how user gems came about and how we built our go-to-market. From very early on, like four years ago, we decided that the regular like lead generation uh, paid media wouldn't work for us because we were bootstrapped. We didn't have the resources to do that kind of like spray and hope for the best. Um, inbound will take a long time. And my personality is I want something a little bit quicker so I can iterate and improve. So we picked from, I, I think exactly four years ago, to do ABM as the way to build our go-to-market. And it's just a thinking, we're just simply, we don't have a lot of resources. How do I identify the best fit accounts and go after those only um, to optimize our spend? And because of that, it makes sense for us to have the SDR or or we call account development ADRs with marketing because this is how we go to market, like ABM or ABX, so that we tightly align um, and caught in the whole orchestration. So that's how we kind of evolve and that makes sense for us. And if we talk a little bit about that a- ABM, ABX approach that you take there about clearly knowing your ICP and clearly going after that ICP, you mentioned, I think, that 90% of your efforts are coming from that that program. So t- tell us a little bit more. I mean, wh- why is it you think that that approach is working so well for you I mean, you mentioned, obviously, there was uh, at the beginning, you were bootstrapped. You didn't have the necessary financial firepower to go down other routes. But you're saying now that, obviously, it, it seems to be leading, you know, 90% is leading your, your revenue charge. So why, why do you think that works so well for you? Yeah. So, so the 90% of our pipeline came from um, the ABM in the first two years. So it was the motion or the D channel for us. And then since then we added on like the regular paid media, different campaigns, and then inbound start picking up. So now it's no longer 90%. I would be very scared if one program is responsible for 90% of our pipeline right now. Um, for us, it was the bootstrap part. Um, but I think because we didn't have all the money in the world to do everything, it forces us to really think about how to cut through the noise more mm. effectively. Mm. So yes, it's about the money part, but I think money was just a forcing function. I think be able to step back and think, how do you cut through the noise? How to get to them? The reason why we could do it um, and drove so much pipeline for us is all of our campaigns was actually one-to-one. So we didn't even do one-to-many or one-to-industry, What any of that, right? So we picked 10 accounts. We identify which of their customer have changed jobs individually. So if I go after like, hey, Declan, your customer from 
Capgemini is now at, you know, Google. Have you reached out? It's that personalized. And then it's also orchestrated with the SDR because in the first email, they use the same language, the same graphic. So it's very orchestrated. I guess we only went after 10 accounts. Mm. So in the first time we ran that campaign, we got like 50% demo requests from like five com accounts out of 10. And then we scaled to 30, 40, 50, and now with 200 accounts every month. So beginning, I think it makes sense to just focus on what make your buyers tick, how do you best communicate your value and do it in a really small scale and learn and scale from there. Well, I think, you know, ironically, I think by not having the, um, the investment from a marketing point of view, you actually have to be more innovative. Mm. And it, it kind of forces you to do things that perhaps you wouldn't do because you'd probably say, well, you know what? We can just turn on, we can turn on some paid media now. We're going to have a whole bunch of leads and that'll keep our SDRs busy. And yeah. you can you can kind of almost be like a hamster in a treadmill really going yeah. around, 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 around. Yes, and it's really hard to step off once you're on it. It's scary to turn off a channel. So, yeah. But you tend to fall off when you, when you uh, come off the treadmill, at least I do, but then... You then find your feet, and I suppose you uh, you you were fortunate. But actually, that's interesting about that. Um, so that what you explained there, that approach about finding out who the customers were of your target companies, and then talking to them about the movement of their customers and their key contacts. Um, are you still using that approach today, or have you have you evolved it? Or oh uh, well, we um, we definitely evolved it. We still have that. Um, components to our AVX, but we add other as well, like a broader messaging, different type of graphics. So we definitely evolved it. So that also like the, the way it looked too. I, back then, it just me and PowerPoint screenshot it. It was ridiculous. It was so bad. <laughs> but, it, but it worked, right? It worked. It worked. We actually got, um, so Gong is one of our customers. And I remember the, they came in, they were in the, this first few batches of ABS we did four years ago. And the head of uh, Demand Gen, he said, it was so bad. It's personal life, it's so badly designed that it got our attention. So I guess it achieved the purpose. Well, there you go. I mean, that's, you should put that on your website as well. So, I know. Um, but I think also, I mean, I'm, you know, a lot of what I'm, re I'm reading about and some of the experiments that we're doing here at the agencies around creating, you know, creating creatives that are very natural. And I think there's a, there's a tendency to kind of, you know, we've always want to over-polish things, don't we? And we want to make things look beautiful and whether it's a video or whatever it is. But I think, you know, I think the B2C market is leading in that kind of way that using kind of, you know, iPhone video. And I think I'd like to see a lot more of that in the B2B world. So I think actually downgrading, I think is, you you were probably ahead of your time, to, to be honest, Trinity. I think you were, you were probably two or three years ahead of your time. And now you're seeing that people are doing this now. And I think I think Gong actually. You mentioned Gong, and I know quite a few people there as well. And they they they've done some interesting stuff as well in terms of their kind of you know gifs and memes, that kind of yeah. stuff they do as well. So that's an interesting one. Talking about evolution, when we were speaking before, you mentioned that your 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 sweet spot of ICP was I think you called it kind of mid market low enterprise. Is that still the case, or, or are you now kind of moving higher up the um, the ladder? Yeah, I. We definitely have enterprise, enterprise. I think for us, just because I'm being pragmatic of the resources that the team have, right? Um, so the use case doesn't have any limit in terms of size of the company. It's just as you target, like say, Fortune 100, there are a lot of different 
consideration that true, true enterprise have. So you've got to be pragmatic of what is the right sweet spot right now with the capacity that we have. So for us, it's been uh, mid-market up to like low enterprise. So in this case, we have customers in the 15,000 uh, employees, so that kind of size. And let's talk a little bit about the, um, the technology user gems. So you're obviously using your own technology for your own ABM programs, clearly. Mm -hmm. So in a funny kind of way, that obviously is a great way for you to sell your technology into prospective customers because you're using it in order to in order to 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 to, to win them, and then they are then using that your technology for their own business. So that, in a funny kind of way, it's it, it's it's quite a novel approach, really, because you they're able to you know it's like almost like you know making the intangible tangible. You're actually help. You're actually helping them to see the power of a tool um, before they've even purchased it. Yeah, I think like from the ad creative standpoint, us showing their customers job change is it's not it's not something like rocket science because everyone can go into a website and you see all the testimonials. So it's not so much the power of the product, but how we use the user gems software to help us. So we have an ICP list of roughly around ten thousand accounts right now. And we go after them, like 200 accounts every single month, like I mentioned. So it's really critical for us to identify which accounts to go after when. Um, so initially, we just kind of like go down the list of like companies that the logos that we know. But now what we do is intense signal don't, doesn't really work for us because we don't really have set keywords yet. So it's not like someone wake up and searching for something like this. It's pretty unique. What we do is we monitor this list of 10,000 and whenever any previous customers or previous champions join these 10,000 accounts and the quantity, like one, two, three, four, then these accounts get prioritized. And that's when I decide to like, this account's warm enough because our SDR know who to reach out to within these accounts. Let's go after them. So that's how we prioritize ABM accounts. And, and you're, so you're monitoring these accounts, you're monitoring the movements of people in and out. You see that a, a previous customer contact Mm -hmm. is moving into a target account. So you say, hey, we can go and talk to him or her. Yes. They know us. They've experienced us. Yeah. And that they can be your entry point. And from a, from a purchasing point of view, is it quite centralized or do you have to literally kind of go department to department and jump around the company? You mean like from like to do this play? Well, when you end up when you end up winning a customer, do you have to then kind of winning a customer isn't enough? You have to go through the whole company or... or or is it the case that once you've won a customer, then they, they the purchase is centralized and therefore you've done your job, so to speak, from an acquisition point of view? Or, or do you have to kind of penetrate that company, develop that company far, far further and wider? Let me make sure I understand. So like when we break into one of these ABM accounts, mm -hmm. um, is it just one person person that makes the purchase, or like do you multi-thread to the rest? Yeah, do you have to? Well, would you have to multi-thread in the sense not just a person, but do you have to multi-thread in the sense that maybe sales might buy your technology, mm -hmm. and you've got to move to marketing, and then maybe you've got to move to another area. Do you have to kind of move yeah. around the move around the yeah. company? Our buying groups is pretty big because it it's, it touches on a lot of teams within the revenue org, mm. um, a lot of different use cases in this data. So for us, um, we kind of in this funny situation where we don't really have one target persona. My background is in product marketing, so it hurts me to say that I don't have one target persona. We actually have three. 
So the three musketeers, that's what we call them. Um, so as sales, salespeople, what, this is the oldest sales playbook. So when they see an, our ad or messaging, light bulb goes up. They know exactly what we do. Um, but then because it's about generating pipeline, so then they also go to their demand gen, head of marketing, mm -hmm. pull them in, that's the second persona. And then because it touches the CRM and all the data and helps with like CRM cleanliness too, RevOps is the third one that usually we see in our in every single deal that we close. So a lot of multi-threading. Yeah, and that ties in nicely. I remember when we were talking before, you said to me, which kind of made me, made me think, you said to me, you can't break into an account with one person. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And especially during this time, this year and next year. The valuing group is big now. C-suite's involved all the time, so. Well, let's, let's touch on that for a second, Trinity. What, what, what are you seeing? I mean, we're now into October when we're talking, but oh, yeah. we're almost into the year now. But what are you seeing? What are you seeing out there in the market? What, um, what, what are you hearing? Yeah. I mean, I think everyone kind of seeing it on their own uh, sales pipeline too. So G2 did a survey and they found that 30, uh, the, the buying group, the average buying group now has increased by 33%. Uh, C-suite involved in almost every single buying decision. And we see that on our end as well. Budget is tight. So they want to make sure that this is like the safe bet. So we definitely see that um, for us, we've always know because of the nature of the product. So we intentionally trying to multi-thread, but now that is top of mind for every AE uh, within our company to make sure that we involve the right people uh, as soon as we can in the right stages. And just touching on that term about multi-threading, I think one thing you, I think you explained to me was that the way that some, some of your ads and how you run the campaigns, but it made me kind of think, wow, I didn't realize. Well, talk, talk me through about how you run some of these kind of multi-threading campaigns. Yeah, this one, uh, this one's a little bit crazy, so, um, but it's really fun to run. So what we do is in the most marketers, once you kind of create a sales accepted op, it's kind of like the baton is passed to AE. But we know from our data that when it's multi-threaded, deal is multi-threaded, we have 5x win rate. So uh, since early last year, we start running multi-threading ads. So when an open opportunity is created, we, always, we don't stop running ads. We actually start running ads to all these accounts and tell them like, hey, sales, someone in your team's talking to us. Hey, marketing, someone's, you know, and the rest of the, the persona we usually see and nurturing them all the way until it's close one. That's when the ads stop. So the reason we did for, through the ads is it's very soft touch. It's kind of something that no, people don't really mind, but it helps stay top of mind. It's not email, so it doesn't cross, you know, pass with the AE's email. So I think it's great. But then we also measured. We did A-B testing at Q4 last year. So all the opportunity we split in half. Half got served with these multi-threading ads and the other half didn't. And we saw that the ones that got served with the ads have, I think, 33% higher win rate, obviously more stakeholders involved, and shorter sales cycle. Um, bigger deal size, too, because now you bring in more people. So it's a company-wide initiative instead of one team. Mm -hmm. So since then, like right now, uh, since January this year, 100% of our open ops get served these multi-threading ads. So, so in effect, what you're saying is that you, you've got an open op. You start with, with, with the sales departments. VP of sales, you then start running ads into marketing and into RevOps. RevOps, yeah. Saying, hey, uh, we're talking to your sales team. And that, that, that's what the ad, ad says or something similar. Yeah, yeah. it just say like, hey, uh, they're very soft. It's not even that specific. Like, hey, sales, or like, they're, they're, the title, right? Persona. Someone in your team is talking to us. 
So Well, that definitely piques somebody's interest, right? People think, hey, what, what's going on here? And so what happened, talk us through that for the audience, whether, well, because this is really, these people might want to try this, but do, when they see the ad, um, if they click on it, what happens? We, so the funny thing is for our ads, most of our ads, we don't optimize for clicks. We want impression. We want people to see. And we also know that we sell to a lot of marketers and sales. People are smart. They don't want to be cookie. Nobody clicks. So we just want them to see, and then when they request, say if they request demo or, or not, actually it doesn't really matter. Mm. So these, this campaign, um, I don't measure with pipeline or clicks or demo requests because that's not the point. No. The point is they talk to each other within their organization when we're not there and get pulled into the sales conversation. On the sales side, our sales team is trained to say like, after the first few calls, like, hey, this is great. Sounds like user gem would be a good fit for your organization. Typically, we also talk to this persona and this persona because of X, Y, Z. So from both ends, we're kind of nudging our champion to pull in other persona as well. So it kind of goes hand in hand. So you're basically running the ads for them to for the other persona to see to see the um, yeah. the, the the relationship is is, is yes. taking place, and at the same time, your SDRs are talking to the AEs, yeah. AEs rather, excuse me, are talking to the team, say, hey. It'd be good if you bring these guys into the conversation as well. But have you got have you got any evidence? I.e., have you then once once you've won a customer, have you sat down with them as boats and say, "Hey, talk us through, talk us through what happened." Did you do you have like a fly on the wall? Do you have like a kind of thing? So we don't ask, but that's uh, we don't ask customers for part of the journey. But that's why we did the A/B testing in Q4, mm. and you can see how the ops progress and they compare with ads without ads. How did that perform in terms of close one? Um, and that second funny thing is, I told you that like most of ads for us, we don't optimize for clicks. The multi-threaded ads are the ones that have so many clicks because people just love it. And then they start tagging their peers to those ads too. So that's enough for me um, to kind of like support this campaign. One caveat, if any, if any marketers want to run this, you need to carve out an experiment budget. We don't spend that much on this one. Less than 5K. It's really not a lot. But you need to put it as a under brand or like experiment because you should not expect to have like demo requests or yeah. clicks, anything um, as an ROI. Sure. And also you need to leave the time to run for your opportunities to close. And then, as you said, then do the AB to seek. And you said you, you was it 30, a 33% increase in? 33% higher win rate. Well, I think most people listening to this would would accept, would like to take that and uh, put that in the bank, right? <laughs> so, and I think that just it's fascinating. I think it, you know there's a lot of talk about dark social, dark funnel, and in a funny kind of way, you're almost you're you're almost provoking dark dark social. You're almost you're more, you're almost inviting people, as you said, to do a screenshot and to and to send it via Slack or whatever to their colleagues and saying, "Hey, I've just seen this. Are you guys talking?" Are you guys talking to user gems? You're almost kind of provoking people, which I think not many people have actually thought about kind of, for want of a better expression, artificially stimulating the, 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 dark, the dark funnel. Yeah, manufacturer. Manufacturer. Startup funnel. Yeah, that was uh, funny, I guess. Well, I hope not too many people listen to this because I feel like I share a lot of <laughs> how we think about it. But when the term dark funnel came out, we, wouldn't we all see it in communities and whatnot? Always my number one question is how do I manufacture dark funnel or dark social? Because yeah. we we new company, right? Like how do we get people to talk about us? 
Um, hence that we see usage gems everywhere. Hence this whole like multi-threading, et cetera. I think a lot of marketers actually know the answer and they intuitively think the same way as well. It's just sometimes when you're on that hamster wheel of I need leads, I need leads now, it's really hard to step off and be able to execute some of these campaigns. Or if someone's like, every dollar you spend, I need to see an ROI immediately, makes it hard. So I think a lot of marketers know it's just uh, the circumstances could be a little bit more challenging. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of the ABMers that I talk to, I suppose one thing that separates them somewhat uh, from demand chain and other types of marketing is that um, they, they, do, they do a lot more experimenting and they do have the kind of sense that they can do a bit more experimenting. I think that example, Trinity, that you shared is a great example of, of doing an experiment that you guys had a gut feeling it might work. You knew from your data it could possibly work and you've proven it. So um, I think a lot of people might want to um, to mimic it and see. You might get a lot of LinkedIn DMs from people asking for more advice after this. I'm happy to. I love talking to sales, marketers. Like You might need to clean out your LinkedIn inbox, but make sure it's <laughs> nice and clean. And this is just a few rapid fire questions just to finish off with Trinity. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little specifically around ABM and ABX, as you said. Um, but what, what do you think, from your experience of working in account-based marketing over the course of the last few years, what do you think is the one lesson that you would share with other people? Uh, think about your SDR's workflow um, or AEs if they full cycle. ABM, people keep saying that ABM because they think it's a marketing thing. And we know that it's not. But easier said than done. I think the, the hardest part, even for marketers who run ABM, is like, you really need to know your SDR workflow and then how do you bring that together? If you don't know how the SDR workflows look like, how they spend their days and how you could build an ABX program that complements that, it wouldn't work. The rubber meets the road when the SDR actually reached out to the accounts and worked them thoroughly. This one is very, very sage advice. And tell me, what would you say is the, is the hardest thing that you found um, from running any kind of ABM or ABX motion? What do you think the hardest thing is? That part, the same one I just said. It's really, really hard because especially if the SDR org has different plays that they're running or if they report to another team where they have different priorities, this orchestration, the herding cats orchestration is the hardest part. So it sounds simple, but it's the it's where you're going to see the ROI. What the particular focus around orch orchestrating your 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 SDRs and your AEs? Yes, yes. Like for us, when we run, when we start running a, an ABM campaign targeting, say Gong, then our SDR outreach sequence for that account also start on the same day. It's really orchestrated. So how do you keep that like the two teams move in lockstep as you scale. Well, it's funny. It reminds me of a conversation with Hilary Carpio, who's over at Snowflake and and breaking silo. Yeah. I love that book. You got the book? Yes. Well, I got the, I got the book here as well. So uh, Hilary was very very gracious, and she sent me a copy all the way from the states. And um, and uh, yeah, that whole kind of SDR, the sales, the way that they've managed to do that is is a is a great. I mean, it's a great book. So uh, yeah, we'd recommend it to anyone. Listen, last question for you. Obviously, you're there in Miami, and uh, it's nice and sunny behind you. Um, tell me, it's, imagine it's a Friday evening. You're about to close down your laptop. You've had a hard week, and you get a phone call from an old friend who says, hey, I've got to go and present uh, my ABM uh, strategy on Monday morning um, to the C-suite. 
and they're going to say to you, what kind of advice would you give me? What's that one piece of advice you give them before you wind down and have a glass of wine, mm -hmm. have a glass of wine or whatever, whatever your favorite tipple is? Um, I think I will steal from Hillary in the Breaking Silos book. It's not a campaign. It's not a program. It's a mindset. It really is. If you don't have that mindset from the leadership standpoint, it's impossible to be able to orchestrate teams together moving in lockstep when everyone has their own priorities and agenda. So, and, and just on that point then, how would you, what advice would you give about getting that mindset or helping people to get that mindset? Start small. Especially in larger organizations like marketers, they, they've seen our ABM ads and they always ask how I do it. And I share the entire playbook from beginning to end. They always ask, how can I automate this so we can scale? Like, no, you don't start very small first. Learn from it before you scale. Um, it's not going to be a quick win. Yeah, I think that's the, the, the problem a lot of people is they, they try to they try to run before they can walk or even before they can crawl. Yeah. And I think that's that urgency that we all have as marketers, right? We're always under that pressure for more, more, more. And yeah. um, the pipeline anxiety, I mean, I feel it. <laughs> Everyone feel it. So, but you're, but you're in a better place now, Trinity, because you've been, you've been given that time to breathe and you've been given that time to, um, to experiment. And obviously the results are there for everyone to see now. So, uh, I think on that note, congratulations on your, on your program. And uh, wish you and the whole team there at User Gems all the best um, for the future. And, and thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. And just like a little asterisk, uh, we just share like the ones that work, but there are a lot. There have been a lot of experiments that did not work. So <laughs> maybe that could be a, that could be another episode. Then maybe we could do. <laughs> what I mean, it's just like don't don't be too hard on yourself. Experiments are meant to fail. If you don't fail, you don't really learn anything. So okay, well, yeah, that's a, I mean that's a key key learning about ABM, right? Is you just go you know fail fast, learn fast, and and um, and apply the learning. But maybe that's an idea for another podcast. I could do called let's not do let's not talk ABM or whatever we could call it, right? Yeah. Well, thank you, Trinity. Thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode of Let's Talk ABM, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Feel free to rate and review this podcast. Thanks so much for listening.